0: Welcome back. This week on the podcast, I talk with Sarah Ann Macklin. Sarah is an international model, and she got thrown into the modeling industry at age 15, where she was fast-tracked to the top of the industry. She was flying around the world as an international model. She was representing brands like Burberry and Ralph Lauren. But during these years, um, she was not her healthiest. She was caught up in the scene of flying around the world representing these brands, really fast-paced lifestyle. And she didn't know it at the time, but she was you know, not doing the proper exercises or strength training or getting really the proper sleep and nutrition um, that she needed to be living that type of fast-paced lifestyle. And it put a lot of strain on her where she ended up in the hospital and she ended up making the decision to go back to school um, become a certified nutritionist and now she is the founder of the be well collective she is the founder of the podcast live well be well she has been interviewed and she is a contributor to numerous health and wellness magazines and articles and um she is now you know helping others find the best way to live with their nutrition and their health and wellness and uh, she was a joy to have on. Um, She lives in London Um, so it was just a pleasure to have her. She's done some incredible stuff in her career. And we talked through her story and, you know, all the amazing things she is doing now. Another incredible company that I love to talk about is Spinks. Spinks is local to me. Um, They have over a hundred convenience stores in South Carolina and North Carolina. And what I say all the time, if you see Spinks, that means they are investing in the communities they're in. They have given millions and millions of dollars to incredible organizations like the March of Dimes and, and other local organizations to uh, help them provide the resources they need spinks as you might see it as the gas station on the corner the the nice convenience store the nice gas station Um, so next time you see one make sure to stop in and support them because i can guarantee you they are supporting the communities that they are in and we're on the health and wellness journey here rebel rabbit is changing the way we socialize they are on a mission to change the way we drink when we are socializing for the healthier and for the better rebel rabbit is an alcohol-free seltzer it is infused with delta 9 thc they have a few different levels so it doesn't matter if you've ever tried it before, or your regular user, they'll have something for you. They have wonderful flavors. And if you go to the link in the show notes, you'll get 20% off your order. So from that link, you can get a direct order to you, and that will include the 20% off. Or you can just include, or you can just add in the promo code LIFE20. That'll get you 20% off. They're also racking up the retailers all over the country now. Um, so you can go to their website and find the retailer closest to you if you want to go pick it up today. Last uh, ask by me is if you haven't already given the podcast a five-star rating, please go give us a five-star rating, a written review on Apple, any other podcasting platform, you can give us a five-star rating that would really help the algorithm and help other people find the show. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Sarah and Macklin. Sarah, good morning. First off, how are you doing? It's the afternoon there in London.
1: Yeah, I'm good afternoon. Um, I'm good, actually. The sun, do you know, it's been really overcast and raining all day and I've just jumped on the show and now there is not a cloud in the sky and I don't quite know what just happened, but we've just got the perfect lighting for this Here interview. It's great.
0: Here we go. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it came through for the for the episode. You, um, you mentioned to me that you kick off a lot of your days with a run. Is that Mm -hmm. something you've been doing for a long time? And how was your run this morning?
1: Oh, my run this morning, it was wet, actually. If I went for a run now, it would have been much more blissful. Um, But I do, I go for a run every morning. And do you know what? I've had an interesting relationship with running. I started running for my county when I was seven. And I was that kind of long, tall, gangly child um, that had more limbs than anything else. Um, and so that was put to use with cross-country running quite well um, and I loved it and I had so much energy um, so for me I loved running and then I went into the modeling industry which for two folds running's good because obviously it's kind of a cardio endurance workout so it's obviously good at maintaining weight but two it's bad because I was trained to kind of run on my toes which gave me quite large mushy calves, with, which now I love and I'm, I've got really good defined calves, but the modeling industry does not like defined calves. So I had to, um, sadly, I like really taper my running, which I really actually found affected my kind of mental health. I didn't realize actually until that point, I mean, we're going back over 20 years ago, like mental health wasn't spoken about in England anyway. I know we're way more advanced in America than we are, um, but it just wasn't spoken about. And there was never that kind of interlink between mood and mental health and running. And it's when I started realizing actually I don't run for aesthetic reasons I actually run for my mind and in enjoyment which is such a big thing and then obviously kind of coming out of the modeling world dramatically um, and kind of going more into the well-being was I started to find my love for running again um, and so yeah for the last kind of 10 years I, I run every day um, but I do stretch because I've had two very bad kind of muscle related industries Injuries from overrunning. Yeah, but I even did a podcast last week with this incredible expert. You should get him on, Dr. Brendan Stubbs, who um, looks at the interlink between exercise and running. Um, and he looks at a lot of kind of treatment programs in mental health. Um, you know, and he is one of the most respected researchers. I think he's done over 700 papers he's cited on this. Um, and it's so strong to show the kind of interlink between mental health and it's even just seven minutes of running a day can show and and help in treatment towards depression so there's like real scientific robust evidence here that actually running is so important for for our mood and mental well-being so so yeah so I I do I do it every day and uh (laughs) and it makes me very happy (laughs) I um
0: I have a similar relationship with why I think I work out and I you know work out hard and I love to sweat is because people ask me like Oh, you work out all the time, like you know, you make sure it's in your daily routine. And I tell them, like, a byproduct is like if you're like, you know, maintain a healthy weight, or like maybe you have whatever you're looking at, bigger biceps, whatever. I'm like, for me, I do it for my mind because, yeah, like the byproduct is, yeah, like the health benefits. But for me, my mind is more clear, I'm able to be more productive, I'm happier, I'm easier to get along with. All those things that go along with working out hard for me is the reason I do it. And then everything else Mm -hmm. is a byproduct. And I feel like people that maybe don't work out don't see it that way. They're like, oh, I can't work out. I can't run that long. I can't lift that much weight or whatever. And if I just would tell them, like, it just helps your mind. You know, it helps you clear. It helps you in every aspect of your life. So, um, And that's interesting that you said it kind of tapered off when you got into modeling. And that's kind of how I want to start off is, you got thrown into modeling very young. Can you talk me through mm-hmm. I think you were 16 or 17 years old, you're flying to New York. Like what is your mindset at that time? You know, what do you think you're going into and really how would you get thrown into it?
1: Yeah, oh my gosh. So my first ever time I was spotted as a model before um I knew about it. I was 13. So thank or- gosh they didn't come up to me at 13. I mean, I was so young. My cousin lived in London, so I didn't grow up in London, I grew up in the countryside kind of an hour and a half outside, like near the coast, and I used to come up and stay with my cousin who was a lot older than me in London, and a scout pulled her aside and said, oh, I think that your cousin um, should be a model, and that was um, Models One, who I'm actually still still with now, I changed later on, but I was with Models One, who's like one of the biggest um, European modeling agencies, and I was so, so young my parents didn't tell me. And then when I was 15, I went to a big concert, my kind of first outing on my own with my friends. And I walked in and the scouts, they're called like model scouts, they all kind of came down from London. And there was tons of them. Um, And so yeah, Storm, who was Kate Moss's agency, grabbed me. Um, IMG, um, who had Elizabeth Hurley and all those type of people, pulled me over. And when you're 15, you've got all of these kind of like grand celebrity name being kind of thrown at you oh, I represent this person I represent this person you don't actually believe it's true and I was there going I swear I be what up not to speak the strangers and all of a sudden I've got these like famous agents telling me that I should kind of go and sign on their books and didn't believe it was true at all they gave me their business cards when that was a thing 20 years ago and I went back to my mom and just said look I've kind of all these weird people came up to me and she she looked at me and kind of thought Oh, there's quite a few things I've not told her. This has happened before. And she'd recognized all their names and she obviously knew who the big agencies were. Um, and so I said, oh, Is it true then? And she was like, Yeah, this, this yep, yeah, these are the real things. And uh, and obviously, kind of a 15 year old kid who had never thought about this, who's not from that type of world. So obviously, I was obviously ecstatic. Um, but she was way more hesitant. So she took me up, I saw the agencies. I signed at 15, I was really young, signed to an agency called Select Model Management in London. Um, Again, one of the leading global agencies and um, started to do shoots from 15. So I was really, really young. And then when I was-
0: 15, are you doing like-
1: Oh my gosh, I did. I think now it's illegal. (laughs) So I think now it's actually illegal to shoot, but we're going back I mean, so much has happened in twenty years, and you kind of think of all the movements that's happened—not even in just the fashion industry, but the arts and film. So much has changed, but back then it was such a different industry. Um, and I was doing—I mean, I was—I was just shooting some some of the biggest photographers at fifteen, like some of the biggest stylists. My first job was with Henry Holland, who I don't know if he was big in um, the states, but he was huge in um, in Europe and in London. Very, very big British designer. Um, you know, and I was shooting all the magazines at that age. So I was like, you know, a baby. And then at, f- at 16, which is in England, when you kind of finish your kind of main school, when you go to something called college for two years, mm-hmm. I was so determined to want to go and do this full time. But my mum was like, you've got to do your studies. But what I didn't realize is I was an undiagnosed dyslexic during this point. So I just didn't like school. I loved the social aspects of school but I hated everything else. Um, And so I'd go and see my friends, but I'd hate my lessons. And all of a sudden, I was kind of put into this world where I was like, I'm actually quite good at this. All of a sudden, people were picking me. I seem to be shooting for some of the biggest brands in the world, like Burberry, and people seem to be responding to me. And it was my first time when I was actually told I was good at something, which is mad. Um, And so I think that's why I really had this urge to go and do it. Um, although there's these kind of negative concepts that are all related to that industry, which are true in so many ways. It was the first time that I was kind of accepted for you know some gifts that they thought that I had. Sure. And then within like two years, I was living in Paris, living in New York, flying all over the world. Um, and the intensity really ramped up. Um, and, and then it basically became my full-time gig for many years. I lived in, in New York for five years. Um, And, you know, at this point, I bought a house in London, you know, I was doing very well. I was shooting for people like Ralph Lauren, I had done covers of Vogue, I'd done like a lot of different things and kind of got to a very kind of high success rate in that industry. But obviously, with any kind of high flying, high performance industry, it does take its toll when you don't kind of look after yourself. And when you're so young, and you'll see this with any like elite athlete that signed really young, or anyone who's got a very high performing job where their body is a really important asset, unless they're told how to look after themselves, unless they're kind of taken through those steps, most people end up burning out or just kind of have a a bodily breakdown because the stress and the pressure at that young age is so much to go through. So although there was lots of parts where I was getting, you know, incredible recognition, half of it, I was just, you know, not aware of what I was putting my body and my mind through. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I had to complete... You hear burnout a lot, but I basically was in hospital for three months. My kidney stopped. Um, I had sepsis, sepsisemia, E. coli, um, you know, five birth cysts. Um, I mean, I was in a really, really bad way. I was in an ICU for a very, very long right. time. Um, this was when I was about 23. Um, and I, I think it was the intensity of the pressure in that job. I mean, there was days where I would be flying five times a week and i wouldn't be sleeping in a bed like my my bed was was the plane and you're just going to the next job the next job the next job with the next crew um and you are this asset you know you don't kind of form these important relationships these bonds um you're just in a very high flying industry um and that weirdly wasn't my wake-up call my wake-up call came later when i you know by this point i was about five and a half stone which i'm trying to figure out what that is in in pounds or kilograms, Um, it's very, very, very light. Five and a half stones, that was my weight. So that's kind of what the weight I was just from the pressure Mm -hmm. of burnout that I got to. Um, And then I went back to New York and was shooting for a huge brand and then my dad had a brain hemorrhage. So at that point I realized that you know I wasn't really around for those kind of five to 10 years very much. I was traveling all over the world. Um, And you don't really think of your family as much when you're that young now I think about them all the time and probably because I've gone to the point of nearly losing them um but I realized in that moment that like I hadn't spent any time with my parents hadn't been connected to my family I'd kind of hadn't even put myself first it was all about like money fame success status that was kind of what I was driving at and knowing in that moment that I might lose my dad when I was in New York I mean I just jumped on the next plane home and that led to a whole host of problems with my agency in New York and you know, jobs that I had signed and I got dropped because I wouldn't come back Um, because I needed to be with my father. who mm-hmm. was then super ill for the next two years. And that was the moment where I was like, what have I put my body under for the last kind of like yeah. eight, 10 years of intensity? Like I was in ICU six months ago. Now my dad is here. And it was a moment when the consultant turned around to my father and said, the reason you've got a brain hemorrhage is because of stress. Damn. and you're so stressed that your body stopped. and my father and I are so similar and he just looked at me and he was like you'll be here again in six months if you don't sort you don't kind of like take a look at yourself
0: so he recognized and
1: I was kind you. of saying he recognized it and it was that moment where I was kind of looking at him going how can you be saying this to me you're also in ICU but it was just like really like a weird mirroring image of each other Um, and that was kind of the change and the pivot of kind of my career and the last 10 years of my life, really, and everything that I've now gone on to do. Um, but I think it's very unusual to have somebody at 23 years of age to have had that success in an industry and kind of gone through that, those intensity of years at such a young age, Mm -hmm. um, you kind of end up going through that, I think a lot later on, then you start making changes to your life and having these realizations, but... You know, I kind of had this really intense eight years of my life mm-hmm. at such a young age when your brain is not fully developed, when you're not kind of like told all these like life experiences. Um, so I grew up very quickly, but it hit
0: me very quickly. So, um, you know, I think from the outside, people see models or they see famous people, or they see people in covers of magazines as this like glamorous, like, you know, lavish lifestyle. And a lot of times it's so much different behind the scenes so with the, um, the relationship of food and even exercise in the modeling industry or in those years. You know, what was like, what did you do? Did you work out? You know, did you look after your nutrition? Like, was any education around that or?
1: Do you know what? It was two very different, at different parts. So when I started, like, no, not at all. You're just kind of thrown in. And when you're spotted, you're kind of spotted as as how you are. So when you're like a 15 year old kid with no hips or nothing, um, you know, you're not developed. So you're not going to ever maintain that shape and that stature Mm -hmm. because you go through puberty and you become a woman. Um, Yet through none of that journey are you told like how to exercise or how to eat well. Um, Or you're told from somebody who maybe isn't the NHS, which as much as they are incredible, they are not, they're more suited towards treatment as opposed to prevention, especially with not kind of high-flying individuals. So yeah, we didn't have any kind of help help in recommendation of that at all. And then I went to New York and that was a whole eye-opener. I went there when I was 19 and kind of never came home. Um, I remember landing in JFK and being like, I love New York and the intensity and when you're there and you're like, I am all in. Yeah. And. You know, and I just I didn't come home and I didn't come home for five years. And, you know, that was where you kind of you make or break your career. And it was that moment where I always say America is five years ahead of the UK. And, you know, I remember going to Whole Foods, I remember Soul Cycle would open, there was like Barry's boot camp. I mean, none of this was in England, you know. And I remember seeing like green juices and I was like, Why why would you drink that? What 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 is gonna make someone wanna have a good that's disgusting. And I just remember kind of being like kale chips who eat? isn't kale like a porpoise food and just being like why are they so expensive and i couldn't get my head around this and everyone was kind of having this like really intense routine of their lifestyle and so obviously i just morphed into this just like a sheep following everyone else thinking oh this is obviously what healthy means you know i'm a 19 year old kid i've got no idea what i'm doing and so i go fully on then and i'm definitely someone who's got this kind of like i'm all in or all out personality and so you know, I was doing everything. I was drinking my coffee black. I was then having a green juice at eleven. I was smashing Soul Cycle in the morning, and I had no idea how to look after myself. But this is like kind of what I saw in the wellness culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember speaking to people back in England. And they were like, "That sounds so sickening and oh, sad." And I was like, "I was like, no, everyone does it. It's the key to health, honestly." And uh, and that's what got me really, really sick. And so I basically tried to understand my own kind of ritual in exercise and diet and nutrition without any guidance. It was all full of fads and Instagram would launch and everyone was telling, speaking about kale and I don't know, the exercise classes. And I just got into that kind of fatty system. Yeah. And I honestly believe that that was like a real pivotal point of me getting very, very sick. And now that is why I'm so passionate about, you know, that's why I went off and educated myself and set up my organization and set up the podcast and all of these things because actually there is so much misinformation out there that we can get completely lost and that's what I did. Um, And so kind of an amalgamation of undernourishment, even though you kind of think you're nourishing yourself correctly, um, you know, having your body to be a performance machine and not kind of looking after that. um, And then the mental health kind of effects that come alongside all of that, like over exercising and not refueling properly, is kind of actually really, really detrimental. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people realise kind of actually how detrimental they can be. Um and so for me, that was kind of how I educated myself in in that in that culture. Um, which is now why I'm so, 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 so um what's so the that I'm looking for? Like I'm so passionate passionate about basically making sure that like non Faddy information is shown, like it's all about kind of myth-busting and and guiding people to the correct sources, which is is vital.
0: Yeah, and you're right. I mean, there's so many fads and misinformation. It's hard for people to kind of filter through all that and like figure out Mm -hmm. really what they should be doing for themselves. And we're all different. And I think, you know, we all operate differently. We're all unique in our own ways. And, you know, we all need to find what works for us. Rebel Rabbit is on a mission to provide a healthier and smarter way to socialize and drink. They're alcohol-free, cannabis-infused seltzers are perfect for anybody just trying to kick back and relax after a hard day at work or on the golf course with your friends or hanging out at a party and you want to wake up and feel better the next day. Their seltzers are perfect for you. They are a great alternative to alcohol as well. Their website is drinkrebelrabbit.com. Use promo code LIFE20. You'll get 20% off your order. That link is in the show notes. But join the mission and start drinking and socializing smarter with Rebel Rabbit Seltzers. And you, um, but you did go get formal education pretty shortly after, I think, your talk with your dad, or around those years, you make that decision to yeah. pivot and become a nutritionist. And um, talk me through that. And, and was that scary for you to kind of leave your career that you had built behind?
1: oh my god it was terrifying i don't know if anyone listening to this show or if you yourself have ever kind of had to have a dramatic career change but when you're kind of out in a really high-flying career and you've got a mortgage and you're you know i had a place in new york that i was paying for i had a place in london you know i was kind of like i earned money from such a young age that i was kind of used to this lifestyle and then all of a sudden i was like i'm gonna go and study to be a nutritionist nobody knew you what that word was in england Everyone was like what does that do who is that and I was like, well, wow, I am really going into a job where no one knows even what this word is. Um, and I and people might laugh at that now, but 10 years ago, this stuff just wasn't spoken about. And I'm you know, amazed by how far and how quickly we've come to kind of this being a very like all-encompassing conversation. But yeah, I, I remember, don't forget that I said at the beginning of my story, I hated school. Yeah. So me I going to go and do a science... But we going to like go into a science degree? I remember calling my mum in New York and going, I think I'm going to go and do a science degree. And she laughed. And she was like, no, you've never liked science. You barely passed science. How are you going to go and do a science degree? And it was this, is a very weird thing. I just had this drive in me. I was like, I am so passionate about trying to understand this just firstly for myself and then not letting anyone else go down this trap. But I need to understand this. So I went and did two years Oxford College um, in biochemistry. Um, and then I went on to do a Bachelor of Science in nutritional science afterwards. And the two, the two years to start were really, really hard. And the time I enrolled on to my Bachelor, um, within like a couple of weeks, my professor pulled me inside and said, I think you're heavily dyslexic and you're not going to get through this unless we figure out kind of how your brain works. And now neurodiversity is spoken about so much, but back then it was a real stigma. I mean, I was literally. I was I was labeled disabled from having dyslexia. I mean, when you're given that tag, you're like, wow, okay, there's something seriously wrong with me. But actually, after I was told and I figured out how my brain worked, I got the top grade in the school for my bachelor of science. I mean, but I was going to fail if I didn't have that diagnosis. So I actually started to thing. find a love and a passion. Oh my gosh, so much. So I am not very good at sitting down into lectures and looking at black and white screens, so I would record everything. Then I would go home, go on a run, and listen to my lecture in my ears as I was running. And so I would run and process everything at the same time, and I could start picturing stories. And then I would come home and brain map, um, brain brainstorm um, all of those stories, and I would do it into different colors. And so all of a sudden I have my own way of learning. Whereas before sitting there in a a classroom Mm -hmm. with notes going up and a professor that doesn't change their tone of voice, I just couldn't connect and I couldn't kind of disseminate any of that information. So I basically went on my own learning journey and then I kind of remembered stuff like things, you know, biochemical reactions through songs and all of that. And I started to absolutely love, live and breathe it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so those two things kind of were a real kind of Area of success to me and a real turning point in, in my career, really, because I started realizing that, you know, I wasn't stupid. My brain just yeah. worked completely differently, and sadly, we're in a very linear schooling system. And I don't know what it's like in in the in America, but in the UK, it's a very linear system. Yeah. Um, I think it's very. And if you have, us,
0: unfortunately, if you have
1: any type of neurodivergent brain, you just don't fit in. Whether it's autism, ADHD, mm-hmm. it's very hard to feel that you grasp learning. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so that was kind of a big, that was a big turning point. And that was um, literally about six months after kind of all that happened in um, in New York. So I very quickly went into into that straight after.
0: With, um, with your education and now you've become a nutritionist and um, I mean, you've now created like a bunch of different companies and nonprofits and podcasts and you've, you know, now instead of being published as a model, you're published as a writer and you know, expert in your field, when um when did you start Live Well, Be Well?
1: So I started Live Well, Be Well. So I've got the Be Well Collective, which is our mental health organization. I started that five years ago, but I, I founded it um on Companies House five years ago, kind of like made it into an organization. But I started Be Well even when I was in university. I mean, I was literally mastering everything back then. I would literally be in my lectures and then I'd be writing for publications and then I'd be doing seminars and workshops um within the industry and kind of without with outside the industry to really start engaging people in this conversation. And then about five years ago I made it into a fully fledged organization. Um and then through that the podcast grew, which is a, a kind of a the next step of be a kind of different entity. Um and that started in COVID. Um I was having a lot of people kind of connect me in COVID um, and we did a lot of things via Be Well which was filming experts but also filming storytellers and inspirational people um, coming onto the show and, and speaking um, in a studio and then that would be linked to an expert on their personal experience and obviously all the studios shut down in COVID like we couldn't get access to anything so I just thought I'm going to make a podcast I can do that yeah. in my own home
0: What um, kind of like did
1: it. I know? Yeah three years later I was like this is now fully fledged company and now lots of people kind of working on it and this is just <laughs> not what I expected um so it kind of I mean follow your passion or what you like and somehow you can make it into a living um but yeah so that's kind of how that started um and it's definitely been one of my favorite with favorite um, passions
0: i you speak a lot about your seven pillars of health and mm-hmm. you know I think people can have their seven pillars right and I think they all can kind of be where they fall for themselves. But I love what you say about your number one and it's nutrition. And it's because sometimes I've been like, oh, maybe exercise is my number one pillar or something like that. But you speak about nutrition because you can make that change so quickly. And mm-hmm. it says like you can change the way you eat. And within 24 hours, you're feeling better. You're sleeping better. Mm-hmm. You're more focused. And and um, for you, when you're talking with clients or somebody, you know, a friend calls you or a relative and they ask, you, you know, how do I get my nutrition in track? Like, what do I need to do? Like, what am I doing wrong? You know, is there, what type of advice do you give them? Or like, what type of direction is is needed for them to kind of figure it out?
1: Yeah, it's, um, and I think nutrition is my, my my kind of first step in my pillars because it was one of my first steps that I did into my own journey. Um, and it's one thing that you can change. And as you said, within 24 hours, you can literally start changing your gut microbiome. Um, you'll start sleeping better. You'll start seeing the difference in how you feel, maybe your energy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a really hard question to answer because something that I've always stood by, and this is kind of the reason why I got trapped into this wellness, into the wellness world, is that everyone is so individual and mm-hmm. um, people sit sit here who are experts at the same time, not just people that aren't experts, who are experts, advocate such strong rules. And actually that doesn't work for everyone. And I'm all around kind of like speaking about this and starting the conversation and trying to get people more kind of engaged in nutrition. But sometimes it can feel very elitist so people can't even get on the ladder because some people are speaking to such extreme ends of health. Mm -hmm. Um, So basically, it kind of oscillates a lot of people to not even start that journey. Um, You know, and health can be as complicated as you make it, but it can be really simple. And that's how I look at nutrition. Um, So when people kind of like come to me in clinic or, you know, when people speak to me on the show or writing questions for the show, or even like kind of our big event that we had yesterday, mm-hmm. it's really hard to disseminate it in one answer. But the one thing I would say is like, have you ever kind of written down what you eat in a day? Because mm-hmm. that's one big thing. Okay. A lot of people don't actually realize how much they're consuming or what they're consuming. Some people think, oh, I always consume my five free and vegetables a day. Mm-hmm. But actually when they write it down, they are realizing maybe they're already getting one or maybe they're actually getting more. And so they can actually start reframing more of a positive health conversation in their mind or saying, okay, if the one thing that I want to do this week is to kind of upgrade my diet, I can start adding in more fruit and vegetables because actually I'm not getting as many as I think. So first of all, start looking at the food that you're eating, just writing it down just for a few days and just start seeing where you are. That's a really, really helpful observation. It sounds so simple, but I did a workshop last week and I made everyone write down, I gave them a big diagram and I said, tick how many of these you eat in a day and how many easy you eat a week but one person those hundred people had ever done this before and they were mind blown at the end just that wasn't even advice from me that was just their own intuition so that's one of the biggest steps it's just kind of like recognizing where you are because as you said we're all so different and so if I give you one piece of advice you might be way further along that line or you may not be anywhere near it so recognizing that and then number two is actually not putting the pressure on yourself like you are not going to change everything within a week within a month Mm -hmm. you know it's it's about understanding what are the most important things that you can do right now to take you one step closer to where you want to be and the problem with what we're sold at the moment within the wellness industry and the marketing industry is everything's a very quick fix you can take this pill you can buy this gadget you can have all of these things and it's like actually no, you're not looking at the, the bigger picture because what will happen is you know 90% of diets fail because there's too much pressure put on oneself and all the enjoyment's taking out of it. So trying to figure out what are the like the very small steps that you can do every week, and after if you do one small step a week, that's four steps a month. That's a lot over a year, and that's a lot over three years. And you're mm-hmm. way more likely to maintain it than actually do it really intensely for three months and then forget all about it and actually your health declines even further. Mm-hmm. So that's really, really important. And I always say the third thing is like whatever you go to embark on, whether it's nutrition, whether it's movement, but whatever it is, whatever health indicator you're trying to upgrade or optimize or improve, um, make sure there's enjoyment in it. Like there is no point in doing anything that you hate. If I would make you do something every day that you hated, you're either gonna hate me or you're gonna have such a bad um, relationship with what you're doing, that it's going to actually cause a health indicator and you're going to be so stressed. And stress is one of the biggest killers of our nation. So I'm like, stop trying to do things that you don't enjoy. Like people might l- be listening to me r- say, Oh, I love running. I completely understand some people hate running. I'm like, don't run. Go for a walk, go for a job, go dancing, you know, do something that you enjoy that's moving your body in a similar way. Um, but you don't have to run. I mean, I hate swimming. My brother loves swimming. Doesn't mean I have to swim. Sure. It's one of those things that's like finding what works for you. And so if you're someone that hates certain types of foods, try and figure out the other foods that you can include that have similar benefits. Um, I think we forget about that part. Yeah, and so much been, yeah. of a health, it doesn't have to be one thing, but so much about like health is enjoyment, right? It's mm-hmm. laughter laughter is an amazing antidote yeah. for health yet we put so much pressure on like perfection and having to like strive and what we end up doing is putting ourselves into such a stressed bodily state that actually throws all of the health indicators out the window. So I always say like whatever you're doing, just make sure there's an enjoyment part in it because that is critical.
0: There is a um sometimes like if I'm like overstressed or just like in a, you know, just have have a lot going on and I just like don't feel like great in that moment. I'll like be like, I wish I could just really laugh right now and like have like a belly filled laugh and just like let it all out. And then I like put on a good song or like find a YouTube video that I like and like I know it like makes me laugh or makes me sing and feel good. And then my my total mood is like changed for the rest of the day. And you said a few things there about nutrition that, you know, resonates with me a lot. But I also don't think too many people like consider it as like you don't have to make some huge change. Um, for, for example, me and my wife just got back from vacation and we indulged and we ate treats and snacks and, and all that sort of stuff. And of course, when we got back, we were like, dang, we don't feel as good, you know, like what can we do? And we kind of put together a little plan. Like we can just, if we just make almost like 1% better every day, like just, you know, instead of having this treat, we're not going to have that treat today. Like instead of, mm-hmm. we're going to like mark off each day, we don't do it. And then over time, you know, we won't want it as much anymore. And then, you know, in three months from now, you know, we'll be feeling good. And hopefully it doesn't take three months. But with um, with yourself and, you know, I do think it's very unique because we're everything um, we do. We're, you know, what works for you might not work for the next person. Do you have things that you do on a daily basis for whether it be you consume a certain amount of protein or a certain amount of carbs or fats? You know, do you track that sort of stuff in your daily diet? You no,
1: know I don't. I don't track anything like that. I mean, I always make sure that I have an adequate amount of protein within my diet, but I've, I'm, I'm super visual and I've realized from seeing patients for the last 10 years, mm-hmm. and I mean from different ends of the spectrum, some of the highest performers, highest actors, musicians, to, you know, everyday people that just want to improve their health. Mm-hmm. Actually, when you work on specifics, and I mean a lot of high performers are like, give me the specifics. But actually what happens is you become so consumed with making sure that you're always meeting a specific quota. So much around it is visual. and I think that's a really important thing. If you visually can start mapping your food, that is such a good way to go forward. But I think you're also going to flux day in, day out. And so you don't need to be having the same rigid routine. You might be having a, a lot more energy expenditure because you're exercising more, maybe you're training, maybe you're just actually enjoying a part of your month where you're I actually really want to like ramp this up. And then you've got other parts of your month where you want to start tailoring it back. The big part about like how I look at food personally is I spent years scrutinizing my food. And I also spent years trying to be a perfectionist around it. Um, even when I was studying it, you know, to the micrograms of like understanding everything on how it should be shown on a plate or how we should be looking at it on our energy expenditure and our protein requirements and all of those things. And actually what I've realized is that like we go through these metrics, but we're so disassociated from ourselves and our body that we're so fixated on our numbers that we do not actually really know what we need. We don't listen to our bodies. And so a lot of the work that I do with my, my clients is actually trying to associate them back into our bodies because 90% of people that walk through my door are completely dissociated with themselves. And I think we've become so fixated on numbers, we become so fixated on a word calorie that I really, 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 really dislike. I hate it now that it's a legal requirement to have calories on menus. Even the other day, I I went to a really nice restaurant and it just put me off. And I don't go by calories. You know, I really believe that actually there's so much more to look at food. You know, a calorie in a broccoli can be the same calories in a Mars bath, but they're totally different. And so it's about understanding, you know, are you getting enough plant-based foods in your diet? That's how I look up my day. How many plants am I eating in my day? Like herbs, nuts, you know vegetables, fruits, all of those things that are goodness. Um, how much water am I drinking? That's the other one of the main common denominators that no one speaks about because it's boring, but it's the biggest part of our health.
0: What's the rule um, of thumb around
1: And actually, so the rule of thumb around water is starting my day with a massive glass of water. That's the first thing. I mean, we're dehydrated. Most of us might be sleeping between six to seven hours to eight hours a night, and we're we've not had any water during that time. So the biggest thing is like refueling your system in the morning with a big glass of water. That's my number one thing. And then I always have a bottle of water in my eyesight because you might think if you're listening to this, I drink a ton of water, but you don't. It's, you need a cue. And if you see someone drinking it, you'll normally realize that you're thirsty. But when you're two percent dehydrated, your thirst mechanisms already switch on, which shows that you're already dehydrated. So you should never, ever, ever feel thirsty. And the biggest thing that I see with a lot of people that come through my door, um is that people really confuse their hunger signals because we're never actually taught about our hunger signals. People confuse hunger signals with thirst signals. And most of the time, we're actually thirsty. We're not hungry. So what I always try to do is 30 minutes before any meal is have a really big glass of water. The time when I sit down to my dinner or my lunch, my breakfast, whatever I'm having, I can actually then figure out how hungry am I I, or am I just really, really, really thirsty. Mm. And so, you know, water plays such a big part. So much of our body is made up of water. Um, if you're tired, if you're fatigued, all of these things, and all be an interlinked into that you're actually dehydrated, um, and especially if you're exercising, you're losing a lot more bodily fluids than you normally would. So, I've always got an eye line cue of water, but it's really important. I say before every meal, drink a glass of water, and that can be like one of your main health behaviors that you change. And that doesn't feel that stressful, right? So just go and buy a really nice water bottle and keep it in your eye line and just try to remember to be drinking more water. Mm-hmm. That doesn't feel like a really stressful way to go. And if you don't like water, chuck in lemon, cucumber, anything that you like, mint, just to make it a little bit more desirable. Yeah, drink um,
0: flavored water all the time.
1: That's the thing, right? So you can, like, you can really like change it up. It's not gonna be like boring tap water. You can chuck it things that you like in there. Um, blueberries I put in because I love them in, in the water. But um yeah, they're the kind of health indicators but I definitely don't go off kind of macros or I don't go off calories or anything like that I but I feel that you know I've kind of studied this field for so long I've become very like intuitive with mm-hmm. what I feel like my body needs on a day-to-day basis but the predominance is am I having enough plants in my diet am, am I having enough protein? and as long as I'm having a palm full of protein a day um every meal that's what my body that's what my body needs. Yeah. I don't need to be making sure I'm being super specific on the ground.
0: And I've found that um, as a trend with a lot of high performers like yourself that have been in that field for such a long time, whether it be an athlete or scientist or doctor, or nutritionist, is they, they've they stopped counting on a daily basis just because they know what they need and they know what fuels them on what they do in a certain day. You know, if you work mm-hmm. out, they might change what they eat a little bit. And, you know, if it's a rest day, they know what they need to eat on that day and all those sort of things that they kind of just comes. Naturally, as you like yeah. learn and progress, in, in whatever you're doing with um with the brain health and nutrition and mm-hmm. food, do you have some certain types of food that are maybe more packed with nutrition, nu- nutrients that help your brain? Because um, I think brain health is such a big. Honestly, I think it needs to be talked about more um, about how important it is to make sure what we consume also fuels our brain.
1: Yeah, I could do like a five-hour podcast on this. Um, there is so much on brain health. I really struggle to isolate this into like a few, a few answers. Um, you know, we know that, you know, we spoke in the beginning of this episode about exercise and running and how that makes us feel better. But food is one of the biggest kind of key determinants of, of our brain health. And we now know from so many studies that you can actually use food as a treatment program for depression. And so knowing that actually food can actually use, be used as a treatment alongside, whether it's SSRIs or even like separately on its own, is so pioneering in the last 10 years. So actually, if we eat, even think about treatment, if we actually think about prevention, like what can we be doing to actually like support our brain health with the food? So there's kind of two ways that I'd look at this. So we know a lot about like the gut-brain axes and we know that our gut's our second brain. But 10% of our signals go to our gut, which is why it can cause a lot of problems like IBS and IBD, because when we're stressed, it can cause a lot of like um inflammation within our gut because we're we're highly we're sending a lot of signals down to our gut. But we also know that 90% of our signals go to our brain. So the number one place I always say is start within your gut for your brain health, because 90% of those neuromodulators are going into your brain. So for so long we're looking at like, oh, what are just the nutrients that are going to support our brain directly? But they're all being fed by our gut. So it's really, really important to be looking at our gut health, which is why I'm so passionate about including plant-based foods because fibre is one of the biggest things that we can do to help fuel our gut correctly. And basically, fibre is like a fertiliser. It helps feed all those gut microbes that we hear a lot about all the time. So looking at fibre, 30 grams a day is recommended in the UK. Um, I think it's around the same in the US, actually. But sadly, only about 19 percent of the UK actually reach that. And I think it's actually worse in America on the stats than that. So trying to make sure that you're having enough plant-based foods within your day. And I try to say that that's around like 30 to 40 different varieties of um, plant-based foods a week. 30 to 40 plant-based foods a week is really, really important. So again, if we're not looking at grams and like quantities, trying to have 30 to 40 different varieties. So it doesn't mean have... 10 apples and 10 pieces of broccoli is going to make 20 that will make two it's like the diversity is like the critical point for our gut health um so looking at that is really really critical so if we can start helping um support our gut microbiome we'll really start helping support our brain health so that's the number one thing that i would say looking at kind of probiotic foods like your um your yogurt and then your prebiotic foods as well like kefir and sauerkraut Are really really important to try and help kind of support that gut microbiome
0: engineered sleep makes the best mattresses out there sleep is the number one thing you can focus on right now to better your performance on a daily basis and you might as well be sleeping on an engineered sleep mattress like i said their products are the best and their customer service is second to none their website is engineeredsleep.com if you use promo code live 15 you'll get 15% off your order so if you or someone you know is looking for a new mattress reach out to the team at engineered sleep and they'll hook you up again their website is engineeredsleep.com use promo code live 15 to get 15% off your order
1: find find your groove with those fermented foods and figure out like what works for you and beans beans are like incredible um and i spoke to dan Butner recently who if you've not watched it the Netflix show Live to 100 where he looks yeah. at the blue zones oh, and the centarians it's a, amazing i need to look at it we had him on we got the we got the UK exclusive with Dan and and for me like he's someone he's got nine kind of pillars of health i've got my seven and they're, they're quite similar um and you know plant based foods was kind of one of his biggest things and he said Sarah beans is the biggest thing with centarians and you know i really believe so much of it starts cuz it's cuz of the gut you know it really feeds It's so high in fiber and also, it's, it's cheapest food you can buy. Mm-hmm. Um, stock up on those, like beans. And honestly, it's nutritious, but it's cheap. Um, and then, secondly, like we are actually kind of looking at our, our brain. There's so many different things um, that we can be looking at. Like creatine's really been supported to support the brain. Choline's been really kind of that's an eggs has been really been shown to kind of support brain health magnesium is amazing to help support our brain and actually because our food is so depleted Mm -hmm. in the nutrients from the soil that's the problem the soil health is so bad about 70 percent of the UK are actually depleted in magnesium so that's quite a big thing so we really need to be looking at our magnesium levels because that helps relax the brain and it works with the HPA axis which is like the stress response if you don't have enough magnesium in your diet Mm -hmm. it's really hard to regulate that stress response so people will be having much more cortisol than they need. So looking at magnesium is really, really important, especially if you exercise, you're going to be 10 to, 20, 10 to 20% more deficient in magnesium because you're depleting it a lot quicker. Quicker. So magnesium, and then the other one that I talk about a lot and I'm very passionate about, and I kind of started my research in this sector when I figured out I was dyslexic, is um, omega-3. And it's the long-chain fatty acids that we speak about, which is an oily fish, EPA and DHA. Um, I'll save you the very long translation of those, but that's kind of the shorthand form, and you only get those from oily fish. And the reason why is because they eat the algae that's in the water, and they consume that EPA and DHA, and that's why you can get it from oily fish. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is the only food that you can get it from. You see a lot of like walnuts and flax seeds being thrown around with omega three, but they're these much shorter chains that our brain health doesn't need. And a third of our cell membranes within our brain have made, are made up of this DHA. So we need to be replenishing them, and if we don't eat enough oily fish within our week, our you know our brain is super clever. It would just go and find another fat. So it will go and find a fat that's more rigid, like cholesterol, and try and slot it into our into our cell membrane. And actually, it's not as mu- It's not as fluid. So it's really important to make sure that you're having enough oily fish within your diet. And if you're a plant based eater, or you just absolutely cannot stand oily fish, which I also understand. Then looking at like an algae-based supplement is just as efficient, or an or an um, omega three supplement as well from fish. So they're kind of like the key denominators that when I kind of think about brain health, okay, that yeah. really
0: comes to mind. Do you um you you touched on two there? Do you use supplements to make sure you're getting the right portion um, on a daily basis?
1: Yeah, I really flux. So if I know that I'm not getting, so I'm really specific on where I get my fish from. So if I can get to a fishmonger's and I can get fish, then yes, um, I won't need a supplement. But if I'm actually not having as much oily fish in my diet, I will always have an omega-3. Um, but even sometimes there will go through months when I'm having a lot of stress that will take an omega-3 supplement. Mm. A lot of my work that I did, um, did a lot of work on neurodivergent um, brains. So ADHD, autism, dyslexia. Um, and looking at what contributes to helping people support neurodivergent brains and omega-3 was kind of one of the leading factors that kind of came out of my research. So since about 24, I've taken omega-3. But that's also because I find it so beneficial for kind of my neurodivergent traits that I've got, um, which is really, really beneficial. But I do have two portions of oily fish a week as well. Um, So I'm very passionate about omega-3s. and then I will look at like having magnesium flakes in my bath and things like that when I'm doing a little bit of endurance exercise because, again, it's absorbed very, very well through the skin. Um, and then vitamin D is actually my one non negotiable that I will always take um, basically from it? now. So creatine, so I, it's an interesting one. I don't take creatine as a supplement. I mean, I will have a lot of foods that have got creatine in, but I don't take creatine supplements. One, because I don't take any protein supplements, because I think I actually have a lot of protein in my diet. Um, but then, you know, I speak to a lot of people that come onto the show who will be literally die by the sword by not letting go of their protein supplement, yes, because yes. they are so passionate about it. Um, I'm just, I feel very aware. I also kind of had all my kidney problems when I was 23. So not having to like excessive amounts of protein for me is not a good thing um, for my brain. Um I wouldn't advise people against taking a creatine supplement, but I think it's so individual. Um, and I wouldn't say, you know, to get your maximum amount of brain efficiency, you should be taking creatine. Like, I don't believe in that either. Um, so I'm not against it, and I'm not massively for it. But I, I do think if you're not having a substantial amount of protein within your diet, then actually that would be very very, very beneficial. Um, but most of us are getting enough protein in our diet. Um, and you hear a lot of people talking about, why we need to be focusing more on protein and having protein shakes and all of these kind of things, and a lot of that is sold into the marketing of the wellness industry. Um, you know, lots of people aren't working out excessively that they need that extra dose of protein. Um, so, yeah, that is a whole other show. Actually, so, I mean, I could talk again a lot about that in depth. So many of these, so many of these answers are so hard to answer in a line.
0: <laughs> they really are. I know. And like, I sit here and make my notes for the show, and like, I have it's like what are the few things like we can definitely talk about because we could talk about so many of them. And it is hard for people because I want people to, when they listen to like take things from the show that hopefully they can better, you know, their daily life and their community and their friends. Um, but it is so hard because there's so much sometimes that go along with each one of these topics. You, um, you touched on this earlier and it was when you had moved to New York and you had, um, your relationships with, you know, maybe your friends and family had, um, not been so great over those years. And, uh, you mentioned, and I think it needs to be talked about more a lot is your self care and your human connection and how important that is, um, going through what you did in New York. And I think, you know, now probably where you are today, what has been the biggest change you've noticed about it? And what are some of the science behind human connection and some self care routines?
1: Yeah. So they are two pillars. So self-care and human connection are two of my seven pillars. And it's interesting because I don't know if you felt this, but I definitely felt this as a scientist. Talking about self-care for so long was like, oh, that thing. You know, it was just kind of like chucked out of the like, oh, it was a spa day. And I would get so angry at this. And people would just start shutting off when they hear self-care because they're just thinking, yeah, it's getting a massage or it's running a bath. And I'm like, Oh, man, no, it's really not. You know, self-care is your self-respect. Mm-hmm. And I kind of think, like, you know, maybe to the listeners or, or to you, like, how many times have you stopped today yourself and done something that's actually brought you joy, that's actually made you smile, that's actually taken a moment for yourself? How many times today have you done that? I'm going to ask you that question.
0: Um, today, probably none. Right? Yeah.
1: And, like it's those things you get to the end of your week and you're like, okay, my weekend is my time when I'm gonna do this thing. And you're like, why are you waiting till Saturday to do something that is like a five minute thing for you that's gonna bring you happiness? Yeah. And we kind of forget that self care is like this self respect ritual that we actually need. And it's in not just high performance, but it's in anyone, right? To kind of bring us that enjoyment, to kind of bring us that purpose, to bring us that thing of getting up every day. We have to look at ourselves and if you think about when you're on an airplane they always say if oxygen masks fall down put one on yourself first and then put one on your kid and it's like of course you love that child of course you love your work you love whatever it is that you're trying to like save the most but you've got to start with yourself Mm -hmm. and it's one of these things that is so overlooked and it's either looks at like being lazy from doing these things mm-hmm. or it's looking at like not being so determined to this one project that you're doing that you can take some time out and step away and recalibrate yourself before you go back into it and so whether it's like for your work whether it's for your relationships whether it's for just like your personal happiness those moments of self-care which are like five minutes of steps a step day are so so critical and there's so much research behind it i mean the whole part of my burnout story which you know is the extremity of what you go through it if it's your burnout when you're at that really end stage when you're hospitalized Mm -hmm. if i actually had more self-care within my day i would never have got there and i still see people now saying oh you know i'm gonna wait till i have a holiday and then i'll relax or i'll wait till i do this or i'll wait till the weekend and it's like what are you waiting for like you don't need to wait that long like you're not you you actually need to be taking a beat now and it should be something that's within our our daily moments really Mm -hmm. Um, so that's what I talk about self-care and that is linked to stress that's linked to sleep that's linked to better relationships that's linked to better performance all of these things and it's actually just creating boundaries for yourself which were never spoken about we never taught how we create these boundaries but they are critical to any type of thing that we want to optimize so unless we start with ourselves and we take those moments for our brain to rest and our bodies to kind of recalibrate and we actually have enjoyment Like, forget it. It's going to take you much longer to get there. So that's one of the kind of biggest things.
0: It can be so quick. It can be like making a tea or just like turning off all your electronics and sitting outside or, you know, just like things. People make it some huge thing when it doesn't have to be.
1: It can literally be like me finishing this now and I've got another um, interview in a minute and just going to make a tea, putting on my favorite track, three minutes, and like dancing to make myself a coffee and just feeling like, some energy and some movement in my body and like something that's gonna put a smile on my face. If I go through my day without any beat of that, it's like I get to the, end of the day and I'm like, oh my God, I'm exhausted and like, I can't even think straight. And I go into the next show and I'm like, what am I what am I talking about? Mm-hmm. It's one of those things that's so important, but we just never do. Um, you know, I have kind of a note in my day every day to call my dad. Um non-negotiable. And it's kind of my act and I have to call my dad. And that's really, really critical. And I have it as a note, so I don't want to forget. But it's those type of things that are really important. And then that leads to the human connection side that I spoke about, which now is really interesting. In the last six months, I've heard so many people talk about human connection connected to longevity. I've had so many people talk about human connection in the relationship to health. And it's something that I made one of my seven pillars. About 10 years ago, on this. And I remember talking about human connection. People were just thinking I was complete crackers. Um, and I You're think it's because the like I was ahead again. But I think I was isolated from people for so long. And I remember sitting in a room in Milan when I was 18 and I'd been there for six weeks. And I, I didn't speak Italian. I might look a little bit Italian. So everyone would try to speak to me in Italian. Like I couldn't answer. And I didn't have anyone there that I knew. And I just remember feeling so alone, but I couldn't like, I couldn't verbalize that feeling. I couldn't verbalize, I just knew I felt empty, but I couldn't verbalize that I was like extremely lonely. And the impact that had on my mental health was massive. And I obviously went through so many years of feeling that. I mean, I was surrounded by people every single day, but I had no deep connections with people. Mm -hmm. And that's not like a deep connection where it's like, I'm telling them my life story, but it's like someone that understood me or heard me or saw me would make me laugh or make me feel at home. Like, I didn't have any of those connections. They were all really superficial. Um, And so, actually, what that made me feel was, like, very removed and also kind of very removed from myself. Um, And we know that human connection, like, human connection can add on up to 14 years of your life if you feel that you've got, like, three friends that you can rely on, if you feel that you've got enough people in your kind of social network Mm -hmm. that you'll feel seen and heard. But now, and we know this since COVID. I don't know how you feel, and if you live like close to your family or you live close to friends where you can pop over and see one another. But we now live in such like segregated societies, mm-hmm. and I don't live close to my parents. Or I don't see them that often, and you know I make a real effort to connect with them every day. But actually, having that like human touch, that intimacy, is so so important for our health and our being. But we have kind of come into this like hamster wheel of a system. Well, we've removed ourselves from actually like these really normal behaviors that are really important, not just for like our longevity and our health, but so much of our happiness. Like when we hug someone, we release dopamine, yeah, sure. which is like our kind of happy hormone. Yet we kind of don't look at it as a health behavior. And I find it completely nuts that we kind of go through our days and we forget about the importance of something that's free and brings us happiness and brings us joy. But we kind of sometimes put at the last on our list. Like, oh, we've not got time to see that person today or I can't be bothered to make that phone call. But actually, that is kind of one of the biggest health indicators mm-hmm. yet we're so struck on like health metrics of like, well, I better make sure I do this gym session. I better make sure I do these things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But actually, that free health indicator that you've got, my, most of us basically, that was passed by. But the amount of times you might see your family or friends and you leave and you feel happiness.
0: You feel so much better. And
1: that's what that's kind of what we were craving for. Yeah. Um so, yeah, so it's a really, and there's a lot of amazing research coming out. I even kind of put one on my stories, actually, Dr. Tommy Wood um, posted around a new study around how social connection is kind of the key to happiness and longevity. And there's so many like meta-analyses now coming out on this, um, which is kind of nuts because it should be something that we should be so aware of and and, and it shouldn't need to be rigged in science. Um but it is, and I guess because we've lost that even more so since COVID, sure. there's people that didn't see family for like three months um, that actually were way more aware of like, the effect that it has on our health. And I think the conversation around mental health, and I've seen this from being in the industry, has ignited so much quicker and faster since COVID. Because before then, and it, it's probably really different in the US because, as I said, like you're either way more advanced in the field of like mental health and therapy than, than the UK are, Or or ever have been. But everyone in that moment in 2020 actually realized the effects of mental health. Until then, people didn't really understand mental health. People would only talk about it from a very negative point of view. But when everyone became very isolated and everyone became very removed and lost their purpose of work, like going into work, going into the office, all of a sudden, everyone started to connect to mental health. Everyone was like, this feels weird. Something's going on. I don't feel great. Something's going on. And it's like we've lost all of these things that actually are so important for our brain. As soon as they're taken away, you realize how much your brain is suffering. And so it's like those small moments of human connection, those small moments of having a purpose of getting up in your day are so key. Yep. Um, and so it's something now I've seen is like kind of coming to the forefront more than more than
0: ever before. Yeah. And I mean it's to mention too, you, you mentioned on, I like, you can expand your health span by 10, 15, 20 years. And, you know, if you are lonely and you are, and if you're lonely, you end up usually not eating as well, not exercising as much and all that just leads to more di- disease and, you know, um, health issues. With, uh, mm-hmm. we're finishing up here and I have kind of an off topic question of what we've been talking about. You've been able to travel all over. And um, I don't know how much you love travel, but in your travels, you know, what is, what's what's uh, one of your favorite places to go to?
1: What, where to go and, to go and visit?
0: Yeah, anywhere.
1: Oh my gosh. Um, where would be my favorite place to visit? I would say, I have traveled a lot, so I'm really trying to think about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, well, as you know, I could give you a really like emotional boring answer and I can give you like a kind of a cool different answer. One of them would definitely be traveling home is like one of my happiest places. It sounds so boring, but actually encompasses everything. And I just feel like this massive sense of, of, of kind of safety, but calmness. And I think when you travel a lot, you actually really, really, really need calmness. And I really crave that. So it's an hour and a half drive outside of London, but it's just being in the countryside. And there's something about the English countryside that is so soothing. And anyone listening to this in America, you definitely need to go visit the English countryside at some point in your life because it's very, very calm. It's so green. I mean, everything to do with like relaxing your nervous system, the English countryside has that. Um, So that's kind of one of my favorite places to travel. Um, But I would say kind of outside of that, I went to um I went to Sardinia last year, which actually is one of the blue zones, one of the five blue zones of the centarians. and um i I just completely fell in love with it. And I've you know, there was points in my life where I was traveling six days a week. so I've been to a lot of places. but Sardinia was this like very magical island. Um, and I definitely recommend going there. The food is unbelievable. You can go high up into the mountains. you can go and see, you know, like, villages that were made 4,000 BC, that they're still out there in the mountains, called, in, it's a place called Tiskili. Um, you have to basically climb and hike on ropes to get there, but it's just like this amazing island and then you go to the coast and the sea is like this crystal clear water. It's super relaxed. Just make sure you go to the non touristy areas, um, but you really do feel that sense of community and you feel, it's, it's as soon as you get there, you feel very, very calm. Um, and I think I spent the majority of time either kind of hiking, which is one of my favorite yeah, things to do, really or in crystal crystal clear walkers um, in crystal clear waters. So the food really was exciting. just delicious. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing.
0: And they're doing um, something right because they're part of the blues.
1: They're all living to a hundred. Yeah. Exactly, they're centarians, So. Actually, uh, yeah. Uh, it's a long way for you guys to travel, but you should, you should go there.
0: We love places like that. Um, we're going over to Italy next year and we just got back from Portugal, but we love to travel. So, um, trying to always continue to the list of, of places to go as we wrap up here. Um, I want to thank you so much for coming on. What's, uh, one thing you usually tell people, like if they're looking to get on the right track in the health and nutrition and exercise, is there a, you know, a 30 second thing you tell them or something you tell them that you can get, gig going on?
1: Oh, the one thing I would tell them, I think I'd say, don't put too much pressure on yourself. What's going to do this? What's going to bring enjoyment from this for you? And ask yourself why? And that kind of determines your next step. So you kind of always kind of actually try and navigate it to a very simple answer, but the why is such a big thing. Why, why are you doing this? Like, What is it? Why? And that will really actually like predetermine the rest, of your, the rest of your movements after that. Um, no one really asks themselves why. So I'd say that's kind of the biggest question you can do.
0: Well, Sarah, I'll have all of your links and everything in the show notes for everybody to see and find you. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for what you're doing and the education you're bringing. Um, I know it's really important. And as you've said in a TED Talk, you know, you don't want to be just a model. You want to be a role model. And uh, I think you really started to now be a role model for young people and kids and people everywhere.
1: Thank you so much. That means so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a nice conversation.
0: Thank you for listening. Give our partners some love by visiting their links in the show notes. Spinks Convenience Stores, you can find the location nearest you. Rebel Rabbit Seltzers. They're on a mission to socialize healthier and smarter. So join the mission and engineered sleep, making the best mattresses in the game. You might as well be sleeping on an engineered sleep mattress. For me, if you could give our show a five-star rating on your listening platform, that'd be greatly appreciated. And thank you so much for listening.